Hello there and welcome to the Cinema Review. I am, of course, your host, Chad Lewis, and today I am joined by two very good friends of mine, uh, Daria Gogan and Miles Hall. Uh, say hello to the, all the nice people. Uh, so today we are launching a brand new series on the Cinema Review, um, which we're all very excited about. We will be uh, starting with uh, this film that we're about to talk about, going through the uh, top 250 movies mm-hmm. on IMDb and just talking about why they're great and just doing some in-depth analysis on them. And today we're starting off with the number one film on IMDb, which is The Shawshank Redemption. Uh, so we just finished watching this movie. Um, we've barely talked about it, which is good, so we'll <laughs> basically be having these conversations right away um, So for all your entertainment. So uh, to kick this off, um, we're going to do a non-spoiler uh, discussion, and then once we are done with that, we will be starting to get into spoilers, and I will be warning our listeners when we uh, get to that point in case anyone has not seen the movie and wishes to uh, see the movie before uh, hearing us talk about spoilers. So, uh, to start us off, uh, Miles, uh, just overall general thoughts of the film. Hmm... It's, it is a very, very well done movie. The acting is superb. Morgan Freeman, just an excellent, excellent job. The directing is just as excellent. And the story, even though it takes a few turns, but it certainly does not disappoint at all, in my opinion. Yeah, I have to completely agree. Honestly, um basically seconding everything Miles says, but one thing that I specifically love about this film is the cinematography in it. Just, it's magnificently done. Done by, of course, the great Roger Deakins. Of course. You can never go wrong with Roger Deakins. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I think, honestly, the cinematography is one of my favorite aspects of this film. There's a lot of, like, long tracking shots that really just show the expanse and, but also intimacy of the prison. So I think between the acting, the directing, the writing, and the cinematography, this film really just kind of encapsulates everything you would expect in a fantastic film. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, the, the story, I think, is very well executed mm-hmm. overall. Um, they do a very good job of getting you invested in the characters very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly the relationship between Tim Robbins' character, um, Andy, and uh, Morgan Freeman's character, uh, Red. Um, the, those two have, I think, very good chemistry mm-hmm. together. And w- w- without that chemistry, the movie doesn't work. Absolutely. Yeah, you, totally. see that, you see that unbreakable bond, even from the start. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things that they do very, very well is that they give you a, a certain empathy where you, without a shadow of a doubt, you know exactly their mentality. And mm-hmm. even though prisons are very different now, you do know, as an audience, you know exactly what it was like then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as far as we know. Yeah, and they do a very good job of establishing why we should care about these characters. Mm. And like you were saying, you, you, there's no doubt in your mind about who these people are, who, mm. you know, where they're coming from. Um, you know, the, the, the film is about a man who is wrongly accused of murdering his wife, possibly. But you, you, you get into the film and you believe him when he says that he didn't do mm. it. Um, and and I think that's one of the key things about Tim Robbins that's acting in this film is mm-hmm. he's very he's just a believable actor you know yeah. this is the second film I've seen him in this was my second impression of him my first impression was a very negative one but with this you know what possibly creates you know him being a, not the greatest actor in some other films really shows through in this film where you love how poised he is, you loved how collected he is all the time and how calm he is in every single situation and it plays so perfectly in his character. Yeah, everything about his character in the film says something about him. Everything about his performance, I guess, is what mm-hmm. I'm trying to say. Even the way he walks. Extremely yeah. collected. Yeah, it says something about 
the character. You you had seen another movie with him in it, and I was actually about to turn to you when we were in the middle of the movie to ask you if that's just the way he walks, or if that's something he's putting on for the character. No, I think that's just the way he walks. Is it just the way he walks? At least, it... well, in the other film, so the other film I've seen him in is The Player. And in that one, he's very anxious the entirety of the film. So I think it is a, it is a different performance. So his attitude throughout the film is different. But overall, I don't remember like noticing, oh, wow, his walk is different. Okay. Um, I think it's just Tim Robbins being Tim Robbins and being relaxed and in his own environment, I think. Well, that being the case, they <laughs> picked the right guy for this role, for sure, because I... <laughs> I was convinced that the, his, his walk even was just a part of the character mm-hmm. um, because just the way he walked communicated volumes about the character of Andy and yeah. um, where his mindset was at throughout the entire film. Yeah. Um, like even one thing that I noticed this watch through for me was during when he was in court, the lawyer said that he was, you know, icy and remorseless and I think if anything that's perfect casting for Andy mm-hmm. within Tim Robbins because my issue with him when I saw him in the player is I didn't like how lacking emotion he had so within this film where he, you're kind of looking for that within him a little bit I think it's perfect casting as far as that goes mm-hmm. to see him with you know he's always collected and he's always calm he's yeah. always thinking he's always mm-hmm. doing something mm-hmm yeah, what, one of my uh, favorite lines from the movie when Morgan Freeman says of Andy that he he, he walks to the prison as if he's stro- strolling through the park, mm-hmm. uh, as if he has this cloak invisible on, an invisible cloak on that mm-hmm. uh, will protect him from Everything. Shawshank. Yes. Um, and that that's I guess that's the moment where everything about his posture, his... Just the way he carries himself. Even his Not, way of speaking. Yeah, and his way of Especially speaking. Especially his way of speaking. He's, a very, he's got a very timid way of, of speaking, almost. Very careful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's, he's, yeah, he's very intentional with his words. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and you see that in Tim Robbins' facial expressions as he's speaking. As you, can, you can see the, the gears turning of, like, how can I work this situation? Mm-hmm. Um, I noticed some things he said was, well, what I mean is, you know, what I'm trying to get at is, Right tries to explain his comment that really makes heads turn and you have to, they don't even know what he's talking about until he explains himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Chad, you also mentioned, you know, the dynamic, I think both of you actually mentioned kind of the mm-hmm. dynamic between Morgan Freeman and Tim Robbins and their chemistry throughout this. And I think if you look at the other player, people that were initially kind of, they were looking at to cast, you see Clint Eastwood, you see Harrison Ford, you see Rob- Robert Redford, and it's like, they wouldn't have had that same... For a Tim Robbins character? No, for Morgan Freeman's character. Really? Yeah, so the joke about him being Irish is actually <laughs> because he was Irish in the book. Okay. So that's why they had these uh, this whole other cast of people, but the director had always had Morgan Freeman in mind for the character. Mm. And I think that when you look at it, you can really see that he yeah. had played out how he wanted their chemistry to be when he mm. wrote it. Because um, mm. he also, because he wrote most of it, but it was based off Stephen King's novel. So I think you see that within the casting of Morgan Freeman is that it's perfect because you look at, you know, Harrison Ford, Clint Eastwood, they wouldn't have had that same chemistry. Yeah, I don't I don't like the idea of Clint Eastwood playing that character. <laughs> Harrison no. Ford I can maybe see a little bit, but I don't like Clint Eastwood for that, well, for that part. Maybe it's, maybe it's because I'm Irish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, but yeah, that's that's actually a good transition point because Morgan Freeman is mm-hmm. fantastic oh. in this. And the use of him as narrator, first of all, oh. you can never go wrong with Morgan Freeman as a narrator for your film. <laughs> but narration tends to bother me in a movie because I, it usually comes off to me like a lazy narrative device. I was about to say the same thing. But they use it very effectively. And so it's not just because Morgan Freeman's the one doing the narration. It actually helps the movie move forward mm. in a way that actually flows naturally instead mm-hmm. of making it feel like it's a crutch the filmmakers are leaning on to skirt past certain things that might be well, difficult to do. Well, this happened, and that happened, and here we are. Yeah, because the purpose of the narration is not to tell you mm. things that you didn't see. It's to add to the film. It's to add to what you've seen to show what Red uh, mm. is thinking. Mm. Uh, in in response to these events, because oftentimes the narration has nothing to do with something that he was actually present for or mm-hmm. was directly involved in. It's just something that he knew happened, and he's just sort of giving his opinion on it. Which I think, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just 
because they need to give some extra details. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think one of the reasons I love it is because Tim Robbins' character, Andy, is truly the centerpiece of this film. But you fall in love with Red's character through the narration, through his little character jabs, through these little things that come up, through especially the narration that you're able to kind of say, like, oh, he's a really awesome character. Like, yeah. you just kind of fall in love with that character, I think, gradually, through those bits. Mm-hmm. And we all we all chuckled a number of times in response to different things he said in the narration. Mm-hmm. Like, there's there's some rather witty lines in, in that narration that pops up well, throughout. Morgan Finn is quite a witty man, just yeah, it's, it's It's true. I believe his deliverance with and his just overall character. I mean, you always want to hear what he has to say. Mm-hmm. So, with those bits of oh, sh- he, he's about to say something. Morgan Freeman's about to speak. Everyone, listen. Be, be respectful. <laughs> <laughs> Morgan Freeman is speaking. Quiet, everyone. Uh, yeah, but yeah, Morgan Freeman is fantastic in the role he's given. Mm-hmm. Another example of I, I just can't really picture. Anybody else? Even the names you say, like, I, I did mention Harrison Ford. Like, I can maybe see Harrison Ford playing the part, but it'd be a very different character. It's like yeah. Clint Eastwood. Just, just maybe, yeah. Doesn't you, you, you won't get quite the... You won't get that connection. You won't get that chemistry or that mm-hmm. friendship. Right. Not, as, not nearly as deep as Morgan Freeman. Well, and Morgan Freeman has... Uh, he comes off with a certain, like there's a certain wisdom. It's charisma. Yeah, and and he has a, he brings a gentle side to the character that a, mm. a Clint Eastwood or a Harrison Ford wouldn't be able to bring. Because you, you'd ex- you'd be expecting a death threat anytime soon. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so, and even the other two on the list, Robert Redford and Paul Newman. It's existent, but not in all the key characteristics I think we love about the character. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, just Morgan Freeman brings such a pinache to the character. It's just, needless to say, he's, he's just the best choice. Mm-hmm. It's true. Yeah, <laughs> no, that, that was perfect casting, and their dynamic is fantastic. Um, the rest of the cast is really good, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the name of the guy who plays the, the warden? Um, Norton. Yeah. What, Bob what's the actor's Gunton, name? I think? Yeah, Bob Gunton. Yeah. Gunton. yeah. 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 He was fantastic yeah. in this. Um, I, I didn't say this when we were watching the movie, but uh, he was kind of a weird like performance for me. Not in a bad way, but like at first he's very... He comes up almost kind. Mm-hmm. Very disciplined. Right. Religious, especially. Yeah, yeah they, <laughs> they, they do very much depict him as religious. Um, but as the film progresses, I was starting to get uh, Mr. Potter from It's Wonderful Life. Mm. vibes from him uh, and as he sort of came to his own as almost a, a villain of sorts manipulation in the film. to get what he needs yeah and I, I'd be curious if he maybe based his performance of the character mm. on Potter from It's Wonderful Life because there were certain lines certain demeanors he had in the second half of the movie I was like yeah. that feels like it came straight out of It's a Wonderful Life because mm. even in the first scene that like, we were introduced him I think there's a little part of us at least I know this from my first watch through, is I actually enjoyed the character. Like, his little mm-hmm. witty remarks and things. It yeah. was just like, oh, okay, you know, we'll see where this goes. Obviously, knowing yeah. he's the bad guy. Maybe, well, but... and then, like, even his first scene, I looked over at you and said, I like this guy. Yeah, <laughs> you know? exactly. I noticed that. And once you get to see his, the level of hypocrisy that he brings, mm-hmm. it's, you kind of have to just nudge over at Chad and be like, oh, so you like him now? <laughs> yeah. <are> you? <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know he w- he was fantastic, oh, he um, and and he plays that transition for the character mm. very well. Yeah. yeah. Um, if they it, got anyone else, you'd really get this. You you'd already firsthand see that he was the villain anyway. Yeah. Because obviously. Like I think you see there's an edge to him in the beginning, but you expect it because he's a prison warden. Like <laughs> he has to have you know, he, he has yeah. to be that way. So I think you know the way it transitions is very smooth and. Mm-hmm. Well, and you're all, the way it's set, you're almost expecting Clancy Brown's character mm. uh, to... Captain Hadley, yeah. Yeah, Captain mm. Hadley. You're almost expecting him to be the villain. Because he's the one that's, like, really like really mean. and He comes you know, across as a henchman, though. He And that's ultimately how they use him. Yeah, exactly. But, like, you almost expect that there might be, like, these two different parties in the prison. There's mm-hmm. more... Mm-hmm. A double villain. Yeah. yeah uh, well... 
the way it's initially set up, it almost feels like there's going to be a sort of this kinder influence mm. with the warden. Yes. And then the this writing. more harsh, sort of this good cop, bad cop element Somewhat going like on. a Percy in the Green Mile. He's yeah. just mm-hmm. a bad apple in the bunch. Right. Right. Uh, so that's kind of where I was expecting it to go. So to have them actually ultimately go, no, the warden is the villain. Mm. Clancy Brown's character is more the the, the big the big thug, yeah, uh, behind him. That that for me that was unexpected. I mm. wasn't expecting them to cut to quite go that route mm. with it, and it just made that dynamic really interesting. Those two had good chemistry with each other as well. Yes. They played off each other very well. I think Clancy Brown's chemistry with most of the characters was fantastic. Yeah. You know, and the, even his chemistry with Tim Robbins even. It's really good. Yeah. There's, there's a distinct tension between them. Mm-hmm. And then a, a little bit of a trust that develops there. Yeah. Yes, you well. almost you almost expect his character to be reformed, I guess you could say. Yeah. To mm-hmm. his side of things. Mm-hmm. And that's Tim Robbins' character that is. Yeah. Yeah, they, but of course, <laughs> there's always a but in that right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, but Clancy Brown really takes that performance, and I think he he really elevates the character. I think mm-hmm. between mm-hmm. even his facial expressions, the way he walks, the way he moves, you know, I think they pick again. That was another instance of perfect casting where they pick someone who's both, you know, their physical presence is felt, but you really enjoy his interactions with all the characters, even though he's not the best character. Mm-hmm. You still enjoy him when he's on the screen. Yeah. Um, and in some scenes, he even steals the show a little bit, mm-hmm. like just low key. He has you that know? grunt man finesse to him. It's somewhat <laughs> like, okay, this is gonna be really interesting until when he's not. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So moving on from the cast um, for a minute, um, I feel like we can't talk about this movie without talking about Thomas Newman's score. Oh my gosh. Oh, yes. um, yeah. Beautiful music. <laughs> I, I I love Thomas Newman's compositions in films consistently. I love his work for 1917, mm-hmm. which we'll be getting to later in this series. Yay. I'm excited for that. Yeah, that's gonna, <laughs> that one's going to be a lot of fun. Um, that's another one that the cinematographer was Roger Deakins, actually, now mm-hmm. I think about it. That's right, yeah. So, yeah, you got two similarities between those two films, but anyway, I digress. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he, he just always brings an extra element to every film that he yeah. scores, and he's, he's just really good at ramping up the tension and also the just the emotion of these scenes. Like, you get to the last few scenes of the movie, which obviously we'll talk about more specifically what happens in those final scenes when we get to our spoiler discussion. Mm-hmm. But the way he composes the pieces for the last, I would say maybe 10 to 15 minutes of the film, yeah. is spot on. Oh, yes. Um, and even ties into the, the film's theme mm-hmm. quite a bit, which is hope. Yes. Um, that that was something that kept coming up a lot throughout the film. I'll have a question for you then. When we get to concerning the, the theme. Yeah, the, mm-hmm. the, the spoiler discussion. But um, his, he, his score toward the end of the film gets this really uplifting tone that captures mm. the theme. You, you, you feel the theme of hope in the final moments of mm-hmm. the film. Uh, in a way that you wouldn't otherwise, just from the images that are being presented on screen. Yeah. Uh, so his his score, I think, for this film is brilliant. It really sells the movie just an extra, to an extra extent. Yeah. And it never. One thing I love about it is it never steals the show. Like there are some films mm-hmm. where you can watch and you know you're watching a scene and the score just overtakes that scene, mm, yeah. which is sometimes really good. Like 1917, there are moments where you want it to do that. Whereas with this film, it plays into it perfectly, still allowing the actors to really control the scene, but it feeds perfectly into the emotion that, they, that they're trying to mm. convey. It complements the actual the scene itself rather than... Right. Yeah. The only time it, setting it, it, it reinforces it. Right. Yeah. Mm, yes. And the only time it really takes over is in like that one scene toward the end where there's no dialogue. Mm-hmm. And well, like you're pretty relying on the... Composer to do his to do his right. job right. extra well in that instance. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and that's like the only place where the score really takes over. Otherwise, mm-hmm. yeah, you're right. It is very much in the background, but it it's still doing its job of setting the tone. And mm-hmm. that a lot of composers really struggle mm-hmm. with that because when that happens, you end up with very generic music, yeah, very forgettable music. But I think he actually composed a very memorable score mm-hmm. for this film. Um, 
in spite of the fact that for most of it, it's just kind of quietly there in the background, just sending this subliminal message to the audience. Well, that's Thomas Newman for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like uh, Hans Zimmer or mm -hmm. John Williams or any of the other greats. Yeah. They always have the music that just sticks with you. Exactly. Doesn't haunt you because it's too beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'll definitely be listening to the Shawshank Redemption's soundtrack when I'm writing or yeah. whatever. If you uh, don't, there's something wrong. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, any talking points you all want to talk about that we haven't talked about already in the non-spoiler discussion? Um, I think for me, again, it would kind of loop back to the cinematography. Like, Roger mm. Deakins just stole the show for me with this yeah. film. The amount of, like, long tracking shots. Um, mm. The scene on the roof is one of my favorites. Yeah. Just mm. the way it's composed, the blocking in the scene, it's absolutely fantastic. So, I think for me, that really conveys... Again, so much more of the emotion and so much more of what the film is really trying to get you to feel, you know? So I yes. think, for me, even the amount of um, backlighting in a lot of those shots, um, when you're within the prison, in the beginning when Tim Robbins is really feeling, you know, when his character first gets there and he's feeling overwhelmed, and I think that slowly the backlighting scenes start to fade once you get further mm -hmm. into the film, mm -hmm. but in the beginning when he initially gets there, there's a lot of them, and I really, really appreciate um, how it adds to the film and mm. right because when he first gets when he first gets there excuse me mm -hmm. he's feeling rather hopeless but towards yeah. the end he seems to be a little more relaxed a little too relaxed in some ways <laughs> yeah we'll get to that later yeah and and the the lighting and the mm -hmm. the shot composition and mm -hmm. just the way he I one that my one of my favorite things with Roger Deakins is the way he manipulates lighting. Yes. yes. Uh, and that, that's something to me, even if his name isn't in the, op like there's no opening credits and you don't get to his name until the end of the film, I can almost always spot a Roger Deakins film because mm -hmm. he has just a special way of manipulating light. Mm -hmm. And he did a really good job in this one because it does subconsciously kind of tell us a story to the audience mm -hmm. Yes. Um, in terms of the tone and what, what's going on in Andy's head as it, as it progresses. Definitely. Mm. Yeah. So, would you all recommend this movie? It's kind of probably a dumb question, <laughs> considering how far, how much we talked about. Most definitely. Of course. Yeah. I would recommend it for older audiences, obviously, mm -hmm. because of the yeah. nature of the content, like the Green Mile. The mm -hmm. uh, overall theme is a light-hearted theme, but it's still one of a movie that should be accepted by, I think, should be watched an older audience mm -hmm. yeah and it, it it yeah the emotions that it provokes mm -hmm. and the some such a matter it addresses mm -hmm. yeah I think you're right older audiences probably a better call it is rated R for a reason yeah, yeah. but that doesn't seem to uh, mean much these days it's it's true but we were talking about a movie that came out in a time where it did mean something so mm -hmm. yeah it came out in 94 yeah. so that yeah ratings meant something then mm -hmm. yeah true. true but movies are to last throughout the ages, so right, yeah, it doesn't matter now, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, no, I, I agree with all that. It's a fantastic movie, definitely mm -hmm. deserves being the number one yep. uh, film on IMDb's uh, top 250. Uh, and overall, I think it was a great way to start off this little marathon and uh, <laughs> absolutely this, this whole series. So, yeah, all right, well, with all of that said, mm -hmm. we will be now transitioning over to the spoiler discussion. So if you have not seen this film and do not wish to be spoiled, um, I would suggest that you uh, sh shut us up right now and <laughs> wa go watch the movie uh, and come back and listen to the rest of this episode. All right, so to just sort of kick this off, um, Daria, what uh, is your favorite scene in the film and why? Oh gosh, um, probably one of my favorite scenes again would be the roof scene after you know they're done tarring the roof and all of that, and he gets some of the beers, and he's able to just appreciate it. I really appreciate. I love the cinematography in it. I love the acting in it, and I really love Red's narration with it. Again, mm -hmm. it's something that really stands out to me in that scene. Um, that's probably my favorite scene in the film. Um, I also really appreciate most of the scenes with Brooks. I think that the way they built up that character and handled that character was beautifully done. Um, and, you know, heart-wrenching all the same. 
Yeah. Yes. Brooks has a great storyline mm-hmm. in this film. Uh, because he he is a character that you immediately fall in love with when you meet him. You kind of have that initial, like, well, that's the deal with this guy? He seems kind of well, weird. And then at first you think he's he's a lunatic because... Because <laughs> he's asking for a, a maggot. No, You're going to eat that maggot? Yeah. <laughs> but then he's just he's feeding... He's ripe. He's just feeding the bird. Right. <laughs> Misdirection, and, as always. Yeah. Right. And as soon as he, like... It was revealed that he was taking care of this bird. I was like, oh man, I really like this character. <laughs> this guy's cool. And he goes from this sweet little old man mm-hmm. that kind of takes Andy under his wing. Uh, and then he, it gets, he, he gets freed. Mm-hmm. And he's been in prison so long that he doesn't know what to do with the free world and ends up tragically killing himself. And the way the movie handles that is beautiful. beautiful. It's so well done. Mm-hmm. Um, I suppose you could say that when he was released, he was put in an actual, another prison, which mm-hmm. was this prison of fears, prison of, well, what on earth do I do now? Yeah. This mm-hmm. actual, an actual prison of hopelessness because... Mm-hmm. It means yeah. nothing. Like, uh, was it was Red mm-hmm. who said mm-hmm. that his life means something in this in Shawshank. Mm-hmm. It means He's a nothing. librarian. Yeah. Yes, it means nothing in the outside world. And yeah. again, like you said, like you know, the theme of this film primarily is hope. You know, and Brooks was used to show the opposite. You know, he yes. mm-hmm. had no hope once he left. Mm-hmm. So I think that they really use that so well. They handled the character so well. Yeah. Um, and and it plays into this sort of theme that you have in the film of what um, Red terms institutionalization mm-hmm. or something mm-hmm. to that effect. Yes. Because yes. um, he has this whole monologue where he basically says, you know, the these walls, referring to the walls of mm-hmm. Shawshank Prison, are funny because you get there and you they're just them. sort of there. You hate them. But then as time goes on, you get used to them, you accept them, and you accept them, and then you need them. Yes. And that was really interesting because you see how prison breaks a person. Yeah. And sort um, of rebuilds them. Yeah. You know, very strange way. And they, they almost get a new life. Yes. There, and then you put them back into their old life, and they don't know what to do with that, and. Like you said, it's like, in Brooks's case, it's like he was, transferred. was he was transferred to an actual new prison. Yes. He was free, but he was back in prison in his mind because he was back to that hopeless state he mm-hmm. was in. That They talk about earlier in the film, like, because uh, early in the film they talk about how uh, when a new group of convicts come in, mm-hmm. there's always that one person who breaks down and starts crying. Mm-hmm. Uh, because of just the lack of hope in in, in that situation. Yes. Um, Even place bets on who's going to cry first. Exactly. And when Brooks is released, it's like he's put right back From the, to, the to where he was when mm-hmm. he got the Shawshank in the f- first place. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you kind of have this sort of theme going through it. The real prison... Is hopelessness. Yes. Mm-hmm. Which is why Tim Robbins' character, his whole thing is giving hope to the other prisoners. Mm. Um, you know, like the scene where he um, defies the word and, and plays mm-hmm. um, that bit of music on the, the loudspeakers for everyone to hear. Or just give them beer when they're working and make mm-hmm. them feel like freedom. And- yeah. And every time he does something like that, what does Red say? For a brief moment, we were free. Mm -hmm. So, this comparison of hope is freedom, Mm -hmm. hopelessness is imprisonment, and that's sort of the theme that runs through the entire film. Um, And I think they did that very well. Mm -hmm. That's an understatement. They They did excellently. Yeah. 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 Um, Miles, any 
favorite scenes? Well, I really do like that roof scene, especially that little line they put when Haywood, I believe, walks up to Andy, Tim Robbins' character, and he offers him a beer that he initially got for them, and he says, I stopped drinking a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> he never was going to have any of that beer. Yeah. yeah. He didn't do any of that stuff that got them there for himself. Mm -hmm. He did that for everyone else. Everyone else. And he's a very, he's a very selfless character. And very yes. generous. Yeah. Um, Unless it comes to the warden. Um, yes. <laughs> the warden deserves it though, so it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. We, don't, we don't care anymore. I think actually, thinking back on it, the times we see Andy smile the most are during those scenes when he plays the music and yes. when he is able to, you know, get them the beer. Like those are the mm -hmm. two of the scenes where you just see. Tim Robbins actually almost seemingly break character and mm -hmm. he's know, happy. There's an actual ray of sunshine coming mm -hmm. through the windows. Yes, mm -hmm. exactly. You're onto the roof. But I think my favorite scene, even though it's quite predictable, <laughs> is Morgan Freeman's when his parole is accepted. Yeah. Mm when he's just, I don't care anymore, I know, I already know what you're going to do, and of course the audience is like, no, you don't, but... Yeah. <laughs> Third time's a charming movie, so it's always, that's right. it's always how that works. Well, about 40 years in prison is the charm, yeah. <laughs> if you're yeah. in prison. Same <clears throat> <Being> difference. <laughs> but when he just does not care, he's mm -hmm. there, and that character development that they have, do you think you've been rehabilitating after all, you know, this first few times after a few decades was, oh yes, God honest truth, yes I have. Mm -hmm. And at the end he's like, what does that even mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Rehabilitated. At the first he's going through the motions because he knows everyone else is going through the motions. Right, he's somewhat enjoying yes. it. <laughs> yeah. And then at the end of it he's just, I'm old, I'm tired of... Mm -hmm. Pretending. I'm not getting any younger. Yeah. His so, best friend's gone. Right. Yeah. This place, and, this place sucks anyway. Okay. And he starts being honest, and his honesty is what gets him released. Mm. Um, that whole bit of him being released and adjusting to life, and the way that they contrast that with Brooks, mm -hmm. um, I thought was really really good yes because uh, when they when Brooks has the terrible and just very tra that tragic suicide you almost think well I mean so if they go out in the real world they're just going to feel hopeless and they'll just die so they must either stay in prison or unless something else must happen and mm -hmm. with Morgan Freeman's characters no there's still hope out there and I really mm. loved how those two scenes mirrored each other. Yes. You know, with him stepping up on, onto the chair and then mm. the table and then carving his name. Like, they, mm. I really loved yeah. how those two scenes mirrored each other, but we got a different result. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Yes. I, I got a little choked up when you, they showed the, the mm. wall again and it said Brooks, Brooks was, was here, here, so was Red. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. They, they left that room in two very different ways. Yeah. Brooks left in a body bag and, yes. and Red left it truly free. Yes, going to his best friend. Mm -hmm. And I love Red's narration, you know, when he gets on the bus, you know, he's like, I could barely, scarcely hold a thought in my head or mm. sit still, you know, he's so yeah. excited and he has hope and he's, you know, he wants to see his friend again, you know, so mm -hmm. like you said, they're just leaving in, you know, drastically different ways. Yeah. What I think is ironic is when they ask him uh, if, in that scene where he gets, where his prose is accepted, mm -hmm. and they ask him, well, are you sorry for what you've done? And he says, well, not a day goes by that I regret committing that terrible crime. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's, I think it's ironic that the second crime he commits is one that he's leaping for joy, he can, <laughs> he can't even contain himself. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even though it shouldn't be what we do, however, right. it's still <laughs> interesting for that character. Yeah. And I think, what ultimately causes those two men to leave that room mm. in two different ways is the fact that Red has a friend. Mm. Yes. He has um, a place to go. Yeah, and, and that's what gives him hope. Brooks has 
nobody. Because you even have the contrast of when he writes the letter to the guys who are still in Shawshank. Mm. He says, I keep hoping that Jake, the, the bird, mm-hmm. will show up when I go to feed the birds. His best friend, he's hoping his best friend will come back to Yeah, and he doesn't. Yes. Um, and it, I think it's, it's critical that the very next thing that happens after he says that is... His suicide. His suicide. Yeah. Um, and so there is this connection drawn mm-hmm. in the film between friendship and hope, even... Because the way friendship is interwoven into the film is, mm. I think, really well done. Uh, Morgan Freeman's um, narrative, narration about Tim Robbins' character, yeah. um, I think, is just a beautiful description of how a friendship develops and the different stages it can go through. Um, you know, one of my favorite parts, like, did I write it down? Hold on. Uh, no, I did not. Um, but when, uh, after Andy escapes Shawshank mm-hmm. Prison, uh, Red makes a comment about how, you know, the part of you that mm-hmm. wants what's best for your friend, that knows he didn't deserve to be here, yeah. is happy for him that he's gone and he's free. But there's still something. But there's a melancholy there's some, that is not Yeah, there. and he ends that with, "I guess I just miss my friend." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's, I think that really well captures how friendships go because yes. you're not always with your friends That's as true. life goes, in its way mm-hmm. as it does. You know, you end up separated from each other at different. You know, stages and, you know, and eventually you get to come back and, you know, be together as friends again, you know, hopefully. hopefully. Um, And that's kind of the hope that the movie sort of ends on is Mm -hmm. that, you know, because the the way Morgan Freeman's character is written in that interim when he's, before he's reunited with Andy, Mm -hmm. is very much reflective of, I think everyone can relate to like losing contact with a friend and and losing friends themselves or yeah Mm -hmm. losing friends and um the movie ends on a note that makes you hope for getting to see those friends again makes you Mm -hmm. hope for the future yeah because i can (laughs) we can be assured that red we before he got released Mm-hmm. He was not think he was not looking forward to the future because mm-hmm. he didn't really think much of it. Mm-hmm. I think that's something that this film does is that it can help us. It it can help remind us that life never goes how we think, even mm-hmm. if it's repetitive. It's mm-hmm. still gonna take a turn mm-hmm. towards yeah. the end or whenever, whenever God feels like it. Yeah, yeah. Chad, what was your favorite scene? Uh, (laughs) sorry probably the scene after he plays Mm -hmm. the the music Mm. on the speakers and they talk to him about why he did it Mm -hmm. because he gets he gets in some serious trouble for that Uh, was it like a like two two weeks, two weeks in solitary yes. confinement, um, and they ask him if it was, you know, worth it or something like that, and he was like, "It's best it, time it, ever spent." It was it was the easiest two weeks, mm. you know, because for him it was worth it. And there was a comment he made in that scene that I I did write this down, um, because when Red is pushing him mm-hmm. on. You know why? Why was it so important that you play the music? Uh, and he talks about the emotion that music gives you, and mm-hmm. he was saying that it it gives it, it. He was wanting to remind the other prisoners of something beyond just the walls they were mm-hmm. confined to. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said, uh, the music um, of music. He says that it reminds them of something inside them that they can't take away mm-hmm. from them. And that's hope. Mm. Which for me, I think, I, f- 
I feel that that line is the thesis of the film. Um, And as an artist myself, not a music artist, but as as an artist who wants to tell stories and um, all of that, that was very impactful Mm -hmm. to me. That something beautiful like a piece of music can remind someone to hope. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so that that whole scene, that whole monologue Tim Robbins has, loved it. I'm going to see if it's on YouTube and watch it again probably <laughs> later tonight. <laughs> um, I'm sure it is. Yeah. People have a special liking for those very poetic and wonderful, wonderful dialogues. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, kind of jumping a tiny bit into, you know, the climax of the film, but one thing I really loved is the setup for the Bible being such a key part in his escape. Um, yes, even yes. From the beginning, when he first meets the warden, you know, the warden is talking about how it's the key to everything. Salvation how, comes from within. Right, you know, mm-hmm. and he, they <laughs> give such a heavy emphasis, and you just think that it's the warden being yeah. overly religious, but then you realize that it's really... It is a key part throughout the entirety mm-hmm. of the film. Yeah. Well, initially, it's something very simple. He mm-hmm. he uses it to get in with the warden. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. That that was one that I I actually did enjoy that scene quite a lot mm-hmm. because they're doing these surprise inspections and he's just sitting there with the Bible, just reading his Bible, and I was like, oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. Because the warden loves that. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so he's going to be lenient mm. toward anything that he might find in the cell because, oh, this guy's reading the good book, mm. you know? And then later we find that, you know, the hammer is hidden in there. You know, yeah. I think that's it's really the just... The, the, the instrument of his freedom. Mm-hmm. The, the, the Bible actually, in the story, actually becomes the actual... Refuge for the weapon. Yeah, mm-hmm. for, for his freedom. Mm. Yeah. The key uh, to his salvation. Yes. <laughs> Which is just a good analogy for how it actually is, but, you know. <laughs> just, that, just... Uh, that actually is a good note to, to make. You, want, you often wonder with those sort of things, with the screenwriter, is he actually getting towards that? Or is, he... is he intending that, or is he just, mm-hmm. you know... Because that, that, that is an interesting thing in movies, because looking at a movie from a Christian perspective... It's interesting to see movies use religious imagery like the Bible and Shawshank Redemption mm-hmm. and wonder if they're actually using it in some in earnest way mm-hmm. or if they're mocking it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and this one, I feel like it could go either way, but either way, even if it's being used in, in sort of a way to sort of a, a mock how Christians see the scriptures, mm-hmm. you know, by making the scriptures his literal key to freedom, to, you know, um, if in a way they end up accidentally making actually a, a fairly solid analogy because the truths laid out in scripture mm-hmm. uh, really are the key to salvation and e- eternal life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, a, a, a better life outside of the, the, the prison. Yes, of, the prison walls of... Of sin and, and death. And, you know? Yes. So... Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's, so the way that gets used is very interesting because I don't know how what the filmmakers were intending mm-hmm. with it, but I think they accidentally speak some truth. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. At least accidentally do, uh, if not intentionally. If not intentionally, just yeah. to... Uh, let, let's let's make the Christians happy with this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, it, it was the '90s. There were a few uh, holdouts were... where people were still doing that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, no. The, the usage of, of the Bible in that film is very well. And there's a, there's a lot of other things too. On a similar note um, to what you were making, Daria, of how they do a very good job of setting up these little things that end up being important. Mm-hmm. Even with the Later poster. On. The poster or, yeah. um, that he uses to hide the hole that he's able to crawl through. Mm-hmm. Um, the 
and even just like a minor scene. I I I love the way this scene was executed, but the scene where um, oh, uh, William Sandler. What's his character's name? Uh, Hayward or something? Yes. Yeah, Hayward. Yes, yes. Hayward. Yes. Um, when he finds the the horse crap, yeah, in the in the field, and he thinks he's found a rock, but like it looks like a rock to the audience, mm-hmm. and he picks it up, and he's like, "I found a rock," and there's a horse that just walks <laughs> by in the background, and Morgan Freeman's like, "That's horse crap." <laughs> and he op- breaks it open as the horse walks back the other direction. <laughs> and I was like, that's just visually... That's, too perfect. It's yeah. too perfect. <laughs> you know, and, and just... The movie has these little things like that, these subtle setups for these... You know, so, in some cases it's jokes, sometimes it's something significant, like mm-hmm. the, the usage of the Bible in, in the film. But it, it, it's just... A, it shows how masterfully written the script is, mm-hmm. that at every turn there's these little things... Mm-hmm. That set up things. Everything makes us. Nothing comes out of left field. Right. In this movie, it all has a setup point somewhere. Yeah. I wonder if that is intentional to be parallel with the hope in those scenes, those little details are there, and the hope at that time is quite small, secluded, and when the details manifest, there is the hope that there actually is in that. It's the hope realized when you get yes. to the, the final scene. You yes. see all these things, like, with regards to his escape. Yes. Right? Yes. All these little things that were insignificant earlier in the film. The they show it again in new context where it's mm-hmm. like this hope that he had all the way back then, these mm-hmm. however many years he was in mm-hmm. Shawshank for. Mm-hmm. 20? Yeah, 20, 20 years, something yes. like that. Something was like it shy yeah. of 20? It was like 19? It 20. might be 19, yeah. Um,. But these little grains of hope that he had mm. in the beginning... That he thought he never had. Right. Finally be- become manifested and, yes. and, and uh, justified. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, as in, do the at small, the end. As do the small little pieces that we usually um, do not take note of. Right. <laughs> and then in the final climax, we're like, there actually is hope. And it's like, yeah, mm-hmm. you didn't think the warden was like that, did you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Standing out in the rain. That that scene is really good when he's standing out yeah. in the rain. Yes. Um, and Thomas Newman's score is just swelling. swelling. Is it just me, or is the does the score seem very somber? But it, it seems like it's gonna be hopeful, and it's like he should have just listened to the music because yeah. the kid's dead now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sort of morbid in a way. Yeah. A little bit, but. Yeah. Uh, that's filmmaking yeah. yeah no that is how filmmaking goes yeah no it, it's it's a great movie mm. um yeah anything that didn't work so well for you guys that we can get into in this one oh yeah <laughs> my yes. one little nitpick I guess um my one thing that I would change or add or I don't even know but um you know, they bring in the harmonica, and I think mm-hmm. as the audience, you know, we associate harmonicas with prison, and there was kind of this whole, at least when I went into it, watching the first time, I was like, oh, you know, they're going to play into this, and, you know, the stereotype and everything, and then nothing happens with it. And I think for me, what I really would have loved is in the final scene when Red is scared that Andy is going to kill himself, I really wish that he had brought out the harmonica and kind of as like a last plea to Andy. Mm-hmm. But what would mm-hmm. actually be happening is him sending him off, but like a last plea of don't. You know, mm-hmm. just playing the harmonica. Right, because he thinks he's going to kill himself. And, yeah. yeah. So I think, that, to me, that would have kind of just rounded that whole scene out perfectly, but that's me being me, I guess. Yeah. I, th- I think they most definitely thought of that, mm-hmm. I think, but... I suppose they were trying to get that um, that feeling of that was the longest night of mm-hmm. my entire life. Yeah, I feel like maybe there are maybe two different versions of this script. One where she, where they did that, and another one where they emphasized him, yes. like sort of being scared for his friend. Because uh, I think they want to have some sort of build up to where um, mm-hmm. the morning comes, mm-hmm. sun's up, all the prisoners walk out of their cells, and. Tim Robbins' character does not. Mm-hmm. And Morgan Freeman's like, oh, no, 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 yeah. no. And the prison guy's like, you better be lying dead in there because I'm going to, you know, be yeah. some fake threat. And it's like, oh, my God. You feel like that's actually what's going to happen. And mm-hmm. he walks in there, he goes, oh, my yeah. God. And, well, 
very, very good use of misdirection because mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that would have just been far too tragic. Yeah. Yeah, no, that was very well executed. Was, I agree. Yes. Yeah, I guess just like the scene where, the, where when Bread says, you know, it's the longest night of my life, it's a very short clip. Mm -hmm. It's only him in, the, in his cell for a couple seconds and then they cut to the morning. So I guess for me to kind of, again, drive home how long the night was for him and how painful it was just to kind of elongate that scene slightly and almost, you know, show his pain, but also give the audience a little taste of it, I guess, as mm -hmm. well. Um, so I guess well, that I, I, I do like the mental image of Red sitting on his cot, you know, playing the harmonica and then like... Just crying or something. Crying mm -hmm. and then maybe like sort of giving up a little bit. Yeah. Like, because the way... I, I feel like the way Morgan Freeman would like lower the harmonica would speak volumes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then you have the narration of that was the longest night of my life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, that could have worked. Because that would have given like this sense of... I give up. He's, yeah. He feels like, he feels powerless. Yes. Mm -hmm. To do anything. See, I think I think you're. I think that would have really driven that. It would home. Have. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I think yes. that's the only change I can think of through, throughout the entirety of the film. I mean, everything mm -hmm. else is so well executed. Yeah. And of all the things, like, cause every like like I was saying earlier, like all these little things get set up and then get used later. The harmonica is the one thing Nothing that happens. they almost forget about. Mm -hmm. uh, everything else comes back in some way, but the harmonica never does, and that that does stick out a little bit. Like I didn't think about that until you mentioned it. And I was like, yeah, you're right. That is the one thing they set up and never brought back. Yeah. I suppose what they're trying to say with that, however, is that Morgan Freeman's character is trying to maintain the very special feeling of that harmonica, mm -hmm. because if he plays it very long, it's just going to become familiar, and it's going to be, oh, it's a gift that a friend of mine gave me. But he wants to always have this feeling, this is one of the best gift of my entire life. Mm -hmm. So I suppose I'm trying to say that with it. However, though, I, I would agree that <laughs> it would be a very interesting use if they did that. Because mm -hmm. even if they showed the one time he did use it was when right. he thought, you know, it might have some impact on that. Yes, it wasn't for pleasure, it was, it was for pleading for his friend to mm -hmm. not actually give up. Right. Yeah. No, I agree. Mm. Yeah, so I, I think that's probably the one thing you could probably mm -hmm. probably this. I mean, there's always something. Mm -hmm. No movie's perfect, you yeah. know. I also <laughs> I also wonder if that if they actually did use that. I wonder if in some alternate universe movies in time, going well, if he actually didn't play the harmonica, I believe that scene might have been a little bit right. better. Yeah. So, uh, mm -hmm. There's always something that yeah. disappoints someone out there. Right. So not that disappointment's bad. But <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I How think about the climax. What is you, Chad? What is your thought about the climax? The climax, just as a whole. As a whole, um, I like it. Hmm. Um, it did, in my opinion, drag maybe a little bit long. Mm. There's there's a few. Like, I, I love Roger Deakins' long takes. I love, mm. you know, all this stuff. But there were a few places where it's like, okay, we need to move this along a little bit. This is almost a little too slow. Well, I wonder you know? if they're just trying to, they're trying to uh, express the ease that he's feeling. Mm -hmm. Even though he's somewhat anxious, I need to find this gift that I, I actually have to go searching yeah. throughout all these fields. I think they're trying to express mm -hmm. that. You know, he's living his best part of his life. So right. I but yeah, I, 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 I understand why they did it, I think, and I think overall it works. Mm. It doesn't hurt the movie too much for me. It just slightly belabors the point. Yeah, there was just, I don't remember what was going on, but there was one point after Morgan Freeman's character gets released, mm -hmm. where I was like, okay. This is when he's walking through the fields and... Yeah, maybe, it, it, it. it might have been the part where he was walking through the fields, I like that... That part felt a little too long. I feel, I feel like that might have benefited from like maybe removing one or two shots just to tighten that part up a little bit more. But would it would it feel too short if he did that? Maybe um, I don't know. Actually, because in that scene, it's kind of funny to me because I almost got a little frustrated because I was like, okay, Andy's sending him on this wild goose chase. Mm -hmm. How does he have the patience to walk through all these fields? <laughs> I don't, yeah. you know. So I think that was a little bit. But I, mean, I did notice that during that scene when Red's 
walking around through the fields. Actually, I think all three of us kind of glanced at our phones, and that was one thing yeah. I did notice, because I caught myself looking at my phone, and then I saw the two of you do it as well. So I, I think that if they had cut it down a tiny bit, mm-hmm. they might have held attention a little bit better. Yeah. So there's, there's, there's dragging something along in order to make a point, and then there's dragging it on too long and That's, causing audience to lose mm-hmm. interest. And I think they... They, We're in danger of that. They, yeah, they, they didn't cross the line to the point where, like I said, it hurts the whole film and, you know. But they were at the edge. But they, yeah, they they walked right up to that line. Yeah. They probably um, did that. Yeah. Just a little bit just to be kind of, <laughs> Yeah. Um, so that, that was just a pacing thing that felt kind of weird mm-hmm. to me mm-hmm. um, for the ending. But other than that, like, I like everything that happens in the ending. Mm-hmm. I think overall it's very well executed. Um, and it's just a great culmination of all the things we've been talking about of freedom being equated with hope and friendship being the vehicle for that hope to be mm-hmm. expressed. And how those good things never die. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I yeah. think an interesting way to end this is kind of to draw back to the tagline of the film, actually, because the mm-hmm. tagline is, fear can hold you prisoner, but hope can set you free. Yeah, so I that's think, a good thesis statement for the film, I think. Yeah, they did a really good job, I think, with picking out a tagline for this film. Yeah, for sure. I like that a lot, actually. I didn't know that that was a tagline for the film. Yeah. I, I, I like that a lot. Them, yeah. That's that's great. I just had an inkling and scrolled to the bottom of the IMDb page and was like, wait. Yeah, <laughs> no, I love that. That's beautiful. That's great. All right, well, before we wrap this up, because we're a- approaching the hour mark here, mm-hmm. um, I feel like we're all going to be in agreement on this point. But, um, just for, just for funsies, um, mm-hmm. who do you all feel is the, uh, in terms of the characters, who is the MVP of this movie? Oh. <laughs> How dare you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you go first, Oh, please. gosh. <laughs> um, so I think for obvious reasons, my first gut reaction is Morgan Freeman. Yeah. But, for... The slight change, I guess. I really enjoyed Haywood. Okay. I really... He had a lot of funny lines, and he was able to kind of drive the plot forward in the scenes that he was in, uh, between, like, the looking for rocks thing, or Mm -hmm. when Brooks didn't want to get out. And, you know, he kind of was... He was a little mini-vehicle for moving some things slightly forward. So I actually... Especially watching it the second time around, for me, I really thoroughly enjoyed his character. So Mm -hmm. Morgan Freeman, but to be different, Haywood. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Cool. So, Miles, you've this. Me <laughs> yeah. and you. This is our first time watching it. Yeah. I forgot to say that in the intro that you and I had are the two have, who haven't seen this movie before yes. today, and Dari had seen this once before. She's just sitting there in the bunk. <laughs> yeah. Um, A little bit. I'll, I'll make sure to make that point in future introductions on in terms of who's seen it before and who hasn't. Yes. Um, but um, yeah. So, as someone who hasn't seen the movie before today, who who would you pick as the MVP for this movie? Mm. You know, just Tim Robbins and Morgan Freeman, those two have such a, it's so difficult. Yeah. It's like asking who's the main character of the film, Morgan Freeman or Tim Robbins. Right, yeah. So, how about Tim Robbins? Okay. his character. (laughs) Because he really, Morgan Freeman in my mind, is the main character, mm-hmm. and Andy's character, is, Andy, is the, well, the person that he's marveled by. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, to me, yeah. it's Andy. Okay. All right. I'll, uh, I'll be the one guy who says red, then. <laughs> <laughs> um, Have an even pie. Yeah. Um, no, I, I really loved Morgan mm-hmm. Freeman in that role, and he, I... For me, he was the emotional crux of the film. Mm. You know, he... Without him, I don't think this movie works at all. I agree. Um, So, I'll go with Red. I did contemplate saying Andy for a minute. Until I said it. Well, (laughs) because, like I said, he states what I feel the movie's thesis is. Um, And he's sort of the source of all of that throughout the film. Um, so from that perspective, like, I, I respect that, mm-hmm. you know, call on, on your part. 
and almost said the same thing on that basis, but just emotionally, I don't think the movie works without Red. Mm-hmm. And on, so okay. just just for that, I, I got to go with Red. Mm-hmm. I agree. So. That's a good choice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, uh, we will be wrapping up this episode on the Shawshank Redemption. Uh, make, be sure to tune in uh, next week as we watch The Godfather. Uh, so that one's going to be a lot of fun. You would do us a service if you went and watched it first. Yeah, it's, it's true. <laughs> Make sure you watch the movie first so you can actually listen to the whole podcast and, you know, all that. Hear our thoughts. And uh, we will see you all on the next episode of the Cinema Review.